excellent healthcare delivery is a team sport and every position has a critical role. This is the Coleman Associate Innovation Podcast. Innovation? Yeah, innovation, new, original, and creative. This podcast is designed to challenge the way you think about how healthcare is delivered. Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. If you haven't already done so, please take your seat and fasten your seatbelt. Coleman Associates Innovation Podcast, the show that brings innovations in healthcare from around the country to your podcast app. This is Adrian from Coleman Associates, and today I'm going to be bringing you something just a little bit different. Our interview today is between Amanda and Dr. Dan Hyman. Dan was previously the Chief Medical Officer at Children's Colorado, but since this interview, he's actually taken a new job in Pennsylvania. Dan has a long history in quality improvement, and hearing from him has really gotten me thinking about what continuous quality improvement looks like. Dan talks about how quality is about creating safe, timely, effective, efficient, equitable, and patient and family-centered care. This led him to think about every aspect of how they provide care, down to how patients and families get from the parking garage to the patient care areas. Just as a note, this interview was recorded in the time before COVID, so you won't hear as much discussion of infection control as in some of our other episodes. Let's listen to Amanda and Dan's conversation. Um, Dan, can you tell us a little bit about you? Um, Sure. So my name is Dan Hyman. I'm a pediatrician. I started my career as a general pediatrician in clinical practice in the suburbs of Philadelphia. And during my time as a general pediatrician, I got interested in quality improvement, had an opportunity to be trained in quality improvement as actually what was the first practice improvement collaborative that the American Academy of Pediatrics sponsored in 1997. Uh I left practice in 2002 and went to work at New York Presbyterian, which is where I first worked with Melissa and Coleman Associates and worked at New York Presbyterian for six years as the chief medical officer for ambulatory care and the chief quality officer for their children's hospitals. In the ambulatory clinics, the work that we did with Coleman on primary care redesign was the most important intervention during that time. So, Dan, how do you define quality in healthcare? When I was interviewing for my job as the safety and quality officer, uh, uh, Jenna Hasman is my CEO now. First question she asked me was, how do you even define quality? And the definition of quality, which I said on that day and which continues to inform my work, is the definition from the Crossing the Quality Chasm publication in 2002 from what was then the Institute of Medicine. And if you're not familiar with it, the acronym is STEEP with three E's. Mm -hmm. In fact, I put that into a PowerPoint slide recently, and my my assistant uh, said, uh, did you mean to spell it that way? I was like, yes. Um, So that's safe, timely, effective, efficient, equitable, not equal, but equitable, Uh and patient and family-centered. And so there's work going on here at the hospital, really across across all six of those domains. So I like to say that I'm a pediatrician who gets to both care for kids as well as care for and develop the health systems that mm-hmm. care for kids. And it's a really wonderful opportunity and a, a great career. Mm. That sounds like a great role to have. How are you improving quality care in your current position? Our patient safety program at Children's Colorado is probably worth uh, talking about Uh for a minute. So we have branded, if you will, our Mm -hmm. program. It's called Target Zero. It's about eliminating preventable harm. And there are a set of practices that we've taught 
to our entire staff, doctors, nurses, every employee that are called uh, patient safety practices or error prevention practices. And it has to do with flattening hierarchy. A lot of it has to do with flattening hierarchy. Mm. We run into this a lot where it's such a paradigm shift for folks. So how do you approach flattening the hierarchy in healthcare? Improving communication. So the care model and how how roles are defined and how different roles communicate with each other mm. and how huddles happen mm. and pre-visit planning and all the elements of what goes into an improvement effort in a primary care practice. Okay. Teams always introducing themselves as a standard when groups of people gather mm-hmm. to do mm-hmm. work. A specific language for escalation, using cuss, you know, I'm mm-hmm. concerned, I'm uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, making stop and resolve a fundamental practice. If there's a question that someone's unclear about, they stop the process to resolve it. Mm-hmm. And anyone can speak up at any time. And we have taught our providers something that we call the art of being questioned, to be appreciative of being questioned, to reflect back what they've heard, thank the person Mm. for raising a question. And so making sure that people in every role in the organization feel like patient safety is their responsibility and they can speak up is a really critical part of what we do. So Dan, you mentioned things like, like huddles and visit prep. Are those things that came out of your initial collaborative with Coleman back at New York Presbyterian? Absolutely. And you know, it's even now uh, in my role here at Children's Colorado, those are critical, mm-hmm. fundamental elements to how do teams work together mm-hmm. to provide care to patients and families. And common sense as it is, yeah. it's so often not a part of the care delivery system if, it, if the care system hasn't been thoughtfully designed. Mm-hmm. And as with most healthcare improvement efforts, most of it isn't that complicated. It's pretty simple concepts. Uh-huh. Of course, implementing them has its challenges and you have to figure out how to do it in every different context because right. each context is its own place. Uh-huh. But those were really important parts for uh, teams that were pretty hierarchical. You know, the doctors were here and the nurses and the MAs were there. And to gather them as learners where they could work as equals on the team, and then bring a change to the way the clinic thought about their work was a really big shift for people. Okay, so Dan, why do you think it's important to flatten the healthcare hierarchy? Without recognizing that excellent healthcare delivery is a team sport, and every position has a critical role, we won't accomplish what we need to accomplish, which is optimal safe care for everyone. Yeah. And that is the challenge of how to make a system out of communication, like how to how to make communication a process versus something that you leave up to people to use their, you know, best judgment on when they should communicate it. I mean, you know, like that's the one thing we work with a lot is how do you institutionalize that there's always this touch point of communication yes. at a handoff and things like that. Um, absolutely. Uh, so the huddles that we're talking about are frequently are generally beginning of the day or beginning of the okay. shift. And each of those teams have designed their handoffs to be relevant for the patient population. Sure. That's a beautiful thing to watch when the anesthesiologist, the surgeon, the mm. scrub nurse from the OR and the intensivist and the nurse in the ICU and the respiratory therapist all gather at the bedside when a patient comes in and go over a checklist of items to make sure that there is a clear, complete, 
transfer of knowledge about the mm -hmm. patient status to the team that's assuming care. And that's obviously critical when you're talking about a cardiac ICU patient. Mm -hmm. um, but the truth is that the same elements apply when you're handing off a child with bronchiolitis on the inpatient unit or planning for the care of a child with a complex special health care need who's coming into clinic and needs all of the people that mm -hmm. are involved to uh, make for a effective visit for the team and for the patient and family. And when you say come into the clinic, are you just just for our listeners? Is children's have outpatient inpatient? Okay, so you have outpatient inpatient. We do. Okay. We have a full suite of specialty clinics. We okay. see over five hundred thousand patients in our clinics each year. Okay, uh, those clinics are located uh, not just here at the Anschutz Medical Campus in mm -hmm. Aurora, but around Metro Denver, down to Colorado Springs, and actually mm -hmm. we have remote clinics out in Grand Junction, up in Montana, and we we we're the only children's hospital in what we consider a seven-state mountain region. And so we provide services to kids from all over the region. And mm -hmm. uh, we think of ourselves as a really important mm -hmm. resource for this community, mm -hmm. not just here in Denver, but more broadly in the region. Okay. And what are some of the like exciting innovations from a quality standpoint that you're working on now at Children's that you'd want to share with us? Oh, how much time do I have? <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, I'm really excited about the work that we're doing. I talked a little bit about our safety program mm -hmm. a few minutes ago, and that's the most gratifying mm -hmm. work of all. Mm -hmm. To reduce preventable harm in our hospitals is the first and most important thing we need to be doing. That's not a new concept. Hippocrates said it in Latin 2,500 years ago, mm -hmm. uh, but it continues to be the centerpiece of our work. So all the safety work has been on safety culture. I talked about some of our safety practices. There are leadership practices that are associated with that. Mm -hmm. And then process improvements to reliably do the prevention work that helps us to reduce central line associated bloodstream infections and pressure injuries and falls mm -hmm. and adverse drug events and all the things that are part of improving safety in our hospitals. So that's a big part of our work. But then in all these other domains in effectiveness, uh, we, we're doing a lot of work on our uh, clinical pathways that help us to provide evidence-based care. So that means that we do less, actually, for some kids. Like bronchiolitis, it used to be common to do x-rays and give bronchodilators uh -huh. and do viral testing. And now we use a statement that we call rest is best. That what we're doing is providing oxygen and fluids and supportive care mm -hmm. and not doing testing. Mm -hmm. um, our clinical effectiveness team is also working on improving sepsis recognition mm. and treatment. And some really interesting work includes work on diagnostic safety. Okay. I think that the, uh, and this is true both in inpatient and in ambulatory areas, I think that the next frontier in our patient safety work and our clinical effectiveness work nationally is understanding our cognitive biases that lead us down the wrong mm. diagnostic path. Mm -hmm. And that is a rapidly emerging field that I think is going to really help us with the next big reduction in harm in the healthcare system is going to come from reducing diagnostic delays and errors. And uh, we use all kinds of patient stories to highlight the importance of understanding mm. our biases that allow us to to do a better job with diagnosis. So lots of clinical effectiveness work, uh, reducing CAT scans for kids needing evaluations for appendicitis. And then we used to be at like 40% and now we're at about seven. Oh, wow. Um, so reducing unnecessary uh -huh. care. Uh -huh. So we have to reduce preventable harm, 
and eliminate it. We have to reduce unnecessary care and improve the value mm-hmm. of what we're providing in our country, in our healthcare system. Yeah. And so all of that work is going on. And uh, the last thing I would touch on across those six domains is I think that equitable care is something that we as a healthcare community need to better understand and do a better job with is recognizing social determinants of determinants of health Mm -hmm. and how we can better address them and so as we think about the population of kids that we care for there's certainly many kids who are well insured and uh, have all the resources necessary that come from all over the region and then there are the kids who live here in aurora who we know have significantly higher rates of emergency department utilization, significantly higher rates of hospitalization. And what do we need to do for them Mm -hmm. so that their asthma is better controlled and their other health issues are are taken care of? And I know that a lot of the clinics and programs that uh, Coleman works with are uh, federally qualified health centers Mm -hmm. and other programs that care for underserved and underrepresented minorities and figuring out how we eliminate the health disparities that plague those populations is an important part of our work here also at Children's. Is that something that is also within the process improvement realm right now that you're working on in terms of addressing those social determinants and the disparity? Like what is some one concrete thing you're doing to work on that? Um, yeah, so definitely. So we have, I mean, we have a number of different teams that are in different structures in the organization and a process improvement team that does a lot of work on efficiency, OR block time, uh-huh. or turnover, on-time starts in the clinics, things like that. Um, and we have a group in our advocacy department that is working on population health. And then we have our primary care program. And all of these people are engaged together in figuring out how do we actually transform healthcare mm-hmm. uh, for that population. So the work that's going on now that's really interesting is, well, first of all, we opened up a new uh, children's Health Pavilion, Children's Colorado Health Pavilion in the neighborhood here that has um, programs that provide support for people who need help with housing and mm-hmm, legal mm-hmm. and mm. other wraparound services right. beyond just what we can do as clinicians in our in our primary care clinics. So that's really, that's really great So it's work. not just health care. It's about getting folks linked with the other services they need to be healthy. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and then we have a, a model that that risk stratifies patients based upon social determinants and their uh-huh. clinical condition to decide, you know, who needs what level of case management or care coordination resource uh-huh. to help them to live as healthy a life as they can. So all of that work is happening and we're trying to partner with many community-based organizations with the state uh, in order to do things that we can't do by ourselves as a hospital. But those partnerships are really, really critical. And not just in uh, physical health, but as importantly, if not more so, in behavioral health. Mm. Uh, Colorado is a state that has one of the highest, if not the highest, rate of teen suicide. And we we have to figure out how to address that. So we're mm. leading a, a group called Partners in Mental Health that is a state mm. uh, entity which has participation from not just the, not just the healthcare system, but many other stakeholders mm-hmm. in addressing children's mental health. Okay. Well, and I even just from walking in here to meet with you, I mean, to see things that you don't 
normally see when you walk into a hospital, like your live recording studio. Uh-huh, secret studio. Yeah. Can you yeah. just share that a little oh, bit? Because sure. I thought that was interesting walking in. It was like, it stood out to me. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> we're really fortunate at Children's Colorado. We have something called a Seacrest Studio, which is funded by the Ryan Seacrest Foundation, who is actually here when oh. it opened. Oh, okay. So it is and from Ryan Seacrest. It is. is that name? Okay. It is. And he's funded those okay. studios in a number of children's hospitals around the country. Mm. And so it's a radio studio where we have an tr- unbelievable staff that does games and reading and music. Mm-hmm. And kids come down and they do things in the studio. We've had patients who've been in the hospital for long periods of time who do their own radio show. We had a patient a couple of years ago who had a bone marrow transplant, huge Broncos fan. And every Thursday he would do a pregame analysis and every Tuesday he would do a postgame analysis. Uh-huh. And that was this thing. And parents and the kids always talk about how at in the studio they could just be a kid mm. and get away from whatever was going on in their in their hospital room and in the OR. And that's been an incredible um place for our patients and families. And musicians when they come through town sometimes come in. Uh, Ed Sheeran was here. Oh really? Day and uh, <laughs> and then it live feeds out yeah, to the hospital. To the, to the TVs in the uh-huh. hospital. So kids uh-huh. can come down or they can come down or they can watch uh-huh. from their from their room. Uh, Governor Hickenlooper uh-huh. uh, came and played his banjo in the studio a few oh, years ago. And cool. just just amazing things that go on there. And then you also saw our incredible medical uh, medical dog therapy program yes. when you walked in. So you yes. saw Ralph uh-huh. who's one of three dogs that are full-time employees of Children's Hospital. They have child life specialists that are their handlers Mm. and take them home at night. But that was Ralph, and Ralph is very, very popular around here. Uh, We say, who's a good boy when we see Ralph? And one of my colleagues always has treats for him, so he Uh loves him. Uh-huh. And I mean, I even saw, I don't know if you've seen this, but this is something seemingly small, but nice is that even in your parking garage, you have the wagons for uh-huh. parents to yeah, help. Yeah, the red bring. wagon. Yeah. Like even that is something that I thought was neat. Well, it's in. the iconic Children's Hospital yeah. Colorado red, red wagon. Okay. And it's there to make it easier for parents to move their young children yeah. and their stuff. Because uh-huh. if you, any of you have either have kids or, or ever had kids, you know that there's all that stuff, and mm-hmm. so parents can put the stuff and the child in the red wagon and make it easier for them to transport mm-hmm. them around the organization. Mm-hmm. I think okay. it's a great example of how do you provide patient and family-centered care in thinking about what are the needs of our patient population. And I think that's true not just here, but it's true for every clinical care service. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you think about how do I make it as easy as possible to provide care for my patients to access our care, um, that's just one of the little things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are the big things, making sure that we have uh, interpreters available right. for people with language differences and mm-hmm. uh, making sure that we are um, providing sensitive care uh, the way people want to receive it. And, um, you know, when you see as many patients as we do, that means having lots of different programs for lots of different special needs. So I guess... I think that some of our listeners will hear what you do in chief quality officer and think about, you know, think about more of an outpatient setting and what quality means. And so I guess I'm curious from your standpoint for maybe it's just outpatient, but how much are you using quality indicators that all of our FQHC leaders would hear about, like, um, you know, childhood immunization rates and things like that? We have a primary care network, network called the Pediatric Care Network which is several hundred pediatricians in the surrounding area. And those practices are all focused on those measures and, in fact, have contracts with some of the commercial health insurers in the Mm -hmm. state. Mm. 
and have incentives for meeting benchmarks for those sorts of measures. Okay. We have some uh, uh, value-based contracts with some plans that are more hospital sorts Maybe, of yeah. measures. Because some sure. of them I talked about earlier, ideal care for bronchiolitis, CAT scans mm. for appendicitis, okay. uh, things like that, patient experience, patient safety. Uh, are some of those metrics. But sure, I mean, any primary care practice uh, needs to focus on those critical okay. measures that are uh, that are relevant to their patient population. And, you know, the truth is, is that the it doesn't really matter what the measure is. The approach to achieving improvement of that measure comes back to setting a clear aim. What is it that I'm trying to accomplish? Right knowing what you're measuring to know whether you're making improvements or not, and then making changes in a systematic way and measuring the impact. I mean, so much of, of healthcare improvement is simply recognizing that our current state is just that. It's our current state. And it doesn't mean it's right mm-hmm. and or, or best. And evolving into future state is what makes this work so much fun. I love hearing Dan talk about his quality improvement program because you can just hear the passion in his voice. I love that idea of thinking about that our current state is just our current state and what we need to focus on is what our future state looks like. I, for one, hope that my future state involves meeting Ralph, the very good and hardworking boy. I want to give a big thanks to Dan for talking to us about his quality improvement efforts. Thanks to Amanda for interviewing Dan. Uh, Thanks to Ryan, as always, for letting me borrow the podcasting studio. Thanks to Shuri, my dog, who let me listen to interviews about other dogs, even though she was sitting right here with me. Thanks to Jonathan at Bionic Squid, as always, for all of his podcasting help. We'll see you next time. Oh, 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 oh,